Our epistle lesson for today is a continuation of the same lesson that we've been reading as our epistle for the last couple of weeks. I hope you noticed. We started in Romans chapter 12 and we've just been taking chunks every week. (coughs) Excuse me. In the first week, we heard St. Paul admonish his Roman congregants to offer themselves a living sacrifice to God. And that was the theme of my sermon from that week. I'm sure you could all repeat it to me. Um, So it was all about this sacrificial offering of ourselves to God. All of our service to God and to others must come out of that reality of sacrifice and worship and prayer. Our worship of God, Sundays and feast days, the daily office, and our devotional prayer life are the foundation for everything that we seek to do in our life to further the kingdom of God. They are the foundation, that which everything else rests on. In this worship, especially Sunday mornings and feast day masses, we offer to God ourselves, as St. Paul encouraged in the first part of chapter 12 in his letter to the Romans. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Remember, from my teaching a few weeks back, this is the equivalent of the whole burnt offering of the Old Covenant. Uh, the offering hasn't gone away. We can now offer ourselves as an unbloody sacrifice because it can be accepted of God by and through the bloody sacrifice of Christ. Now this oblation, that means the gifting, this self-oblation of ourselves happens every time, or the opportunity, shall I say, happens every time a priest celebrates the Eucharist. It occurs during the consecration prayers on page 81 of the prayer book. And here we offer and present unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls and bodies, to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice unto thee. But it is the people's job to offer. The priest says the words, and I have to mean those words for myself and my own heart and life, but you also, you have to mean it. You have to hear those words as as I speak them and say, yes, God, me too. You have to offer yourself a sacrifice to God. A very good summary of the main emphasis of the daily office, morning and evening prayer, which we are called to do every day, which relates to this unbloody sacrifice, can be found, if you want to uh, look in your prayer book, it's page 588, It can be found on that page, and it reads thus. And since it is of thy mercy, O gracious Father, that another day is added to our lives, we here dedicate both our souls and our bodies to thee and thy service. Did you get that? We here, right now, in the morning, it's a morning prayer. We here dedicate both our souls and our bodies to thee and thy service in a sober, righteous, and godly life. In which resolution do thou, O merciful God, confirm and strengthen us that as we grow in age, we may grow in grace and knowledge. What an amazing prayer. It bespeaks that same attitude of dedication and sacrifice. Now with this foundation in our lives, with our daily offering to God of 
all of who we are and what we do, and in our sacramental worship in which we repeat the Old Covenant whole burnt offering in and through Christ's sacrifice for us, we are able, by the power of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and particularly the Holy Spirit working in and through us, we are able to live the life we've been called to live. As in last week's epistle lesson, we heard St. Paul encouraging the Roman Christians to serve the church with their spiritual gifts and to live and behave like a Christian. This week's lesson gives us a continuation of the same message. Please read with me through our passage in the New New King James translation on page 765 of the Pew Bibles. Romans chapter 12, beginning at the second half of verse 16. Romans 12:16 B Do not be wise in your own opinion repay no one evil for evil have regard for good things in the sight of all men if it is possible as much as depends on you live peaceably with all men beloved do not avenge yourselves but rather give place to wrath for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord therefore if your enemy is hungry feed him If he is thirsty, give him drink, for in so doing you will heap coals of fire upon his head. But do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. This kind of living looks pretty good, doesn't it? It looks actually like the peace of Christ beginning to reign in the world. And that reign of Christ being brought about by Christ's servants, his church. As he has said, it ought to and will be done. The question is, are we going to participate? God's going to do it, and he's going to accomplish his will through his servants. Are we going to be faithful servants? This is front and center after the theme of worship, or better yet, built upon the foundation and theme of worship. This is front and center for St. Andrew's Church here in the mountains of Northern California. This movement of the church, of our church, towards holiness, and the church, this church gathered right here in Chester, California, as the agent of peace and redemption in the world, is also given a bit of emphasis in our text by St. Paul's use of the word evil at the beginning and the end of our lesson. Repay no one evil for evil. And then at the end, a reminder of that idea, but extrapolated even further by the command not to be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This church, St. Andrew's, is to manifest, to show forth the redemptive work of Christ, which starts with his incarnation, his becoming human. This is the theme that we have had in our season of Epiphany. We have every year. The coming of of the light of the world into the world. The coming of the king of the world into his kingdom. Epiphany means manifestation to show forth. Our gospel lesson brings us right into the theme theme of epiphany. St. John states it clearly at the end of our lesson. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed on him. It's so obvious it's using the word right there in the text. This is the first miracle, the first 
presentation of who he really was and is. As one commentator puts it, Christ had not yet given any sign of the invisible and eternal glory which the evangelist St. John in his prologue had claimed for him. He had not, known, he had not in his own person manifested the unique majesty of his will, nor revealed the direction in which the power he wielded would most freely move. But here at this wedding in Cana, Christ manifests forth his glory, probably particularly to the disciples. And the result is that his disciples believed in him. One of the interesting things about the passage besides the interaction Jesus has with Mary, his mother, is the context for this, his first miracle. He and his disciples have been invited to a wedding at Cana, a town about four miles northwest of Nazareth. This seems just a normal, typical, small-town affair. Either the bride or the groom apparently knew Jesus and his family, as we see both Jesus and Mary at the wedding. The families must have known each other fairly well as Jesus Uh, They invite Jesus and all of his hangers-on, right? At this wedding, Jesus manifests forth his glory of his own volition. That is, please note, this is not God speaking of his son as he is transfigured or as he is baptized. Thus, it is known as Jesus' first miracle. It's the man- Jesus has been made manifest by God the Father in a couple of different instances. This is the one where he manifests forth his own glory within his own miracle, of his own choosing of his volition to, have, to do this miracle. Interestingly, the names of the couple are not mentioned. You see, though we can tell it is a rather local gathering, the names of the couple are not the important part of what we need to understand from the text. This is the blessing of the married state itself, as we see in the teaching on marriage from the church. But this morning, the third Sunday in Epiphany, I don't believe that the married state is the focus of the text for us. Really, I think the focus of the text for us today is related to the epistle lesson, where we saw the picture of the church bringing the peace of the manifested Savior of the world to the world, to make him known, the church's mission. The context for his first miracle is that which signifies the relationship he will have as the bridegroom with the church, his bride. We are brought back to the basic relationship that God's people are blessed to have with God, a marriage covenant. Adam and Eve lost this relationship with God, and indeed their own marriage and marriages in general have been suffering the effects of sin ever since. Yet God chose a people and wedded himself to this people so that they might bring the salvation of God to the world. The people started with that guy, Abraham. He and his descendants, God wed himself to the Israelites and said, now the kingdoms of the world are going to know me because of you. Should sound familiar. This people fundamentally failed as a people. Yet Christ, the true Israel, redeemed this people's mission and became the bridegroom for the new people of God, the new bride of Christ himself, the new Israel, the church. 
This is our reality. This is what we have to offer the world. Come to the incarnate creator of the world and be a part of his family. Become a part of his bride. And that means joining the visible church. There are no mavericks in the church. Well, we often try to be. But it's about being a part of the visible church. And then our job is to worship him and, continue, and to continue to manifest forth to the world around us the incarnation of that same creator of the world. We are about being the church here in the Almanor Basin and beyond as our local body extends one way and the other way. Not so much this way as much, a little bit this way. We are about being a church here in the Almanor Basin. And we are one of the very few traditional Anglican expressions of the church for hundreds of miles here in Northern California. Let me ask us all a question. As a parish, we lost four houses to the Dixie Fire and almost six people from our church. COVID has done its damage as well. Why should we attempt to recover from the Dixie Fire and from COVID and the difficulties of the economy in our area? Why should we seek to rebuild and renew and grow this 12-year-old expression of Anglicanism here on these mountains? Please think about that question. Let's discuss the answers you might have in the days and the weeks to come. What are we about, really, this St. Andrew's Church thing in what amounts to the middle of nowhere for most people? What are we about? Yes, we worship God. Well, there are other churches that do the same. Why does St. Andrew's Church need to exist? Why does it need to grow? I believe we need to think heartily about these questions if we want to grow, if we want to see growth and glory to God for the existence of our parish. Obviously, I believe this church is important, or I wouldn't be here. You're 25, I think. I believe you think it's important as well. Why? We are living in the most unchurched times in our country ever. The millennials and Generation Z folk are the most unchurched generation generations ever to live in America. Are we thinking of them? Are we thinking of our neighbors? What are we offering to them? Why should they come to church? Does this Almanor Basin area have more or less people worshiping God on a Sunday now than it did 30 years ago, 50 years ago? It's a bit of a rhetorical question. It's far less. What does that mean for the spiritual realities of our neighbors, our communities? What does that mean for eternity, for the people that we interact with on a day-by-day basis? Do we really believe that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life? 
Are we ready to build and participate in a church that makes that reality the center of our mission to our neighbors? Our task starts here on a Sunday morning, worshiping God as he's asked us to worship him. It continues in our daily prayer and our devotional prayer life. Our task then moves forward as we manifest forth his glory to the world around us. That requires doing a bit more than showing up for church on Sunday. Are we committed to that? Are we ready to do what it takes to learn new ways of doing things for some of us older people? We've heard that that's hard for old dogs, right? Are we ready to do what it takes to learn new ways to take some risks both personally and as a parish? I pray that as we move forward towards answering these questions as individual members of this body and as a whole parish, we can think through them as well. Let us all pray together that we might be faithful in our worship and faithful in our mission to manifest Christ to the Almanor Basin and to Chico and to Greenville and to Susanville and everywhere in between and maybe even beyond. Amen.